Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. I'm going to start with just some statements, just some statements. Maybe they fit you, maybe they don't. See if you can relate to any of them. Uh, We live a fast-paced life. Everything is scheduled. Everything has to happen in a certain time frame and order. For we have work demands, family demands, relationship demands, and if I can find time, maybe actually relationships, not just the demands of them. I think I saw my spouse last week. We We saw each other as we passed the kids between one appointment to the next. Had a quick dinner between bath times. Oh, and we laughed together at our last Major League T-ball game. The job is consuming me. Now that I'm connected 24 hours a day, I'm connected to my job 24 hours a day. I commute longer even though my new job is five miles closer. Because I now live in the wrong direction. I said it would be good if I took on the commute because of the money. But the time is taking its toll on me. I get value and worth for what I do and accomplish, so I keep going. And they keep giving me more responsibilities, more money, more deadlines. It's consuming me. We have to be thinking about what's best for our kids, and even 40 years into the future, because they're still going to be living with us. You can tell which half is worried about that. (laughs) We need a vacation, an elaborate vacation, one that will consume every ounce of my remaining energy to plan it because it must be the perfect vacation because it's been the one I've been working so hard to have. It's not just the schedule, but it's the stress of everything. I can't stop thinking about what if, what if not, did I do that, did they really do that? What if they don't, and why didn't they? Just can't stop thinking. When I do get that moment to relax I have, and have fun and enjoy myself, whatever that has come to mean, I'm too worried about everything that I didn't get done and the ex- expectations I didn't meet to actually rest. We live in a pretty crazy, fast-paced life that is closing in on us fast. We have very little margins in our life anymore. Sleep becomes less and less. (laughs) We have now reduced our sleep to seven hours a night is what the average American gets. Many of you in here are going, I don't know when the last time I got seven was. That sounds like a lot of sleep. (laughs) Well, check this out, though. just a year ago, I'm sorry, two years ago, in 2017, the average night's sleep was eight hours. As a whole, Americans lost an hour of sleep just in the last two years. Man, our pace is crazy. Sleep is it's a commodity we don't come by very well. Rest, we usually don't even know what that means. Screen time is at an all-time high. When we are resting, there's something in our face. We oftentimes don't know what rest is. 
But here's a man that somehow or another figured out what rest was. Here's a man who we find coining these words that we're looking at today, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Oh, that would be amazing. Green pastures, still waters. Woof! And I'm planning hard to get there. And yet he speaks as if this is what happens to him on a regular basis. That his shepherd has led him to green pastures and still waters. Well, that's because he lived a bunch of years ago and they weren't very busy. I mean, come on. Right? Yeah, I'm sure King David wasn't very busy. I'm sure the one who was the greatest conqueror known in the world at that time wasn't very busy. I'm sure the one who was constantly at war wasn't very busy. I'm sure the one who was called that he had a heart after God wasn't very busy. The one who was leading a kingdom wasn't very busy. That's just not true. He was busy. His life was difficult. And in fact, he spent, in those days, you spent most of your life just trying to live. If you did something wrong, you may not eat and continue to live anymore. It's a different type of busy, but he was busy. And yet he found out. Here's a man that as we see him coin, uh, or penning this, it looks like that he has been able to face life dead on, centered himself, and said, I'm not going to let you overwhelm me and overrun me. And he's... He's not cracking under the stresses and distresses of life. Here's a man who found peace and quiet in the turmoil of this thing we call life. He found it in the care of the shepherd, peace, quiet peace in the midst of the shepherd. I want you to center in on that word for a minute, peace. You see, because we don't find rest without peace. We don't find rest without peace. And David found peace. And each one of us can find peace as well. And we find it in the shepherd. Remember yesterday, or, or last Sunday, we, we said that this whole psalm, Psalm 23, as as a beautiful pearl necklace. And the string that holds all the pearls together is the good shepherd. That everything in this psalm is about the good shepherd. Who he is and what he brings about in our lives. Who he is and what he offers in our lives. He's the string that holds it together. And then each verse as we go down, we're going to be looking at one of those pearls. We're going to be examining one of those pearls. The pearl is the life that we can have if we put our trust in the shepherd and allow him to guide our lives. If we surrender ourselves to the shepherd and allow him to lead us and guide us into what is best and perfect. And then what will we be? Well, we lack nothing is the version we used last week. The version we're using this week says that we shall not want, right? We're going to get to this place because of who the shepherd is, not because of what we've done, not because of our white knuckling or our rushing around or our anxiety or how good we are at anything. We're going to get to this place where we lack nothing because of who God is and what he's doing in our life, because of the power of the good shepherd, because of the character of the good shepherd, because of what he's doing in our life if we will trust and depend on him. And the very first thing we find out is when we trust and depend on him, we find that the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, has brought peace between us and God. That we're no longer at war with God. We're no longer his enemy. We're no longer at odds with God. That for all those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, we have been made at peace with God. That's one battle that's off the table. That is one war that no longer has to be fought. 
that is one anxiety that gets to go away. We put it away. We don't, don't wonder about our future. There's always a tomorrow in Jesus Christ. We don't wonder if he'll turn his back on us because he makes a promise to always be there, never to forsake us. We don't have to wonder if we'll be good enough to make it to heaven because we will be with him today and forever because of the work he did. We just put our trust in him and in his work. And we said that we become children of God, sons and daughters. Remember what we said? One of the big myths and fallacies are is that all are children of God. And all are not children of God. All have been created by God, but not all are children of God. Only those who put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ, who have been made at peace with God, become children of God, full heirs of the kingdom of God, and all the rights and privileges that belong to a child of the living God. We can put that one to rest if you have trusted in Jesus Christ. But then he gives us his peace so that we can live with that peace. He is literally the prince of peace is one of his names. And so he gives us that peace. And he says, now I will teach you to live in my peace. Because all this anxiety and all this worry and the things that you're running after, you don't have to. I want you to rest in me. I want you to find your peace in me and who I am. And what are these pearls that begin to be unpacked for us? We find out several things. We find out that we need nourishment, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the still waters, right? That we need nourishment. We need the bread of life. Listen to what Jesus claimed about himself. In John 6, 32 to 35, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread that comes from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Oh, what a great response. Always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Imagine that, talking to Jesus. Jesus is telling you that there is this bread that can always sustain you and always fill you. Imagine that. And they say, hey, give us that bread. That's exactly what we need. We've been looking for that. And he goes, you have it. You always have it because I am eternal. I am with you always. I will be your satisfaction. I will be that which satisfies you. I will provide for your hunger. Let me back up for a minute and put into context what's happening in this passage. You have a shepherd. David was a shepherd at one time. He knows that really well. You have sheep. And so if we can understand the picture that he's drawing from, we can understand some of these pieces just a little bit better. Now here's what we know. In the ancient Near East is that at night, even though the sheep would be penned off in some manner, for thousands of years, Psalm 23 has been sung. Extra choruses have been added to it. Different music has been put to it. It's been uh, sung with the lyres, the lyres, the lyres, lyres? They know how to say it, and the tambourines, and uh, the drums, and all the instruments, the trumpets, and all the instruments of the old ancient world and the instruments of the new. That came off an album by Shane in Shane and Chain, and it was uh, simply entitled Songs. And it's an album, if you've never heard it, I would encourage you to go and find it. It's uh, the Psalms, and that's it, just the Psalms. And you'll be able to sing right along with Scripture. Let's get into a little bit more about Psalm 23. 
Christianity Today took a poll of the online Bible platforms, like, you know, Bible Gateway, Study Bible, Blue Letter Bible, all those, right? Took a, 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 a survey of them and asked, what is the most searched scripture or passage in the 10 most populous countries in the world? In the world, it's not just America. The 10 most populous countries in the world. What's the most searched passage? And Psalms 23 showed up in the top five, uh, nine of those countries. It's always been beloved. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, uh, it has been said that what the nightingale is among birds, this poem or this psalm is among one of them. For it has sung sweetly in the ear of many a mourner in his night of weeping and has given hope that joy comes in the morning. See, because it's been said that the nightingale sings the sweetest and the loudest in the darkest of nights. And so Psalm 23 sings over us and gives us hope in the darkness of our moments. Some have called Psalm 23 the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. That's kind of interesting. Psalm 23 has dried many of tears, bandaged many of hearts, smoothed many of rough roads, and brought courage to the living and comfort to the dying. I have probably shared Psalm 23 at more bedsides and funerals than I've shared it anywhere else. It is a great psalm of incredible comfort. The metaphor of, of God as the shepherd has often been used Two set scriptures that we can find it in are, are Psalm 95, and it says, He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the flock under His care. Another one is Isaiah 40. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms. He carries them close to His heart and gently leads those that have young. To say that it's a psalm about a great shepherd is true, but it's more than that. It's a psalm of our great shepherd, the Lord Most High. The author of it was David. Many different authors, although authors that we find have written psalms through the book, but by far David wrote the majority. And he is said to have written this one. Now many of the psalms, we don't necessarily know who wrote them. We can tell by the language in them or the descriptions. We can align them to different people's lives. And it was, we know so much about David's life that it's easy to attribute many of the psalms to him. <laughs> we ever thought that Singing praises to God was for the weak. Or if we thought that singing or weeping over the Lord and who He is was for the faint of heart, just remember that next time you think about it. David, the most mighty warrior in all of Scripture and our history. David, a brutal man, make no mistake. He was a brutal man. Sung and wept and danced and cried before the Lord as he worshipped Him with all of his heart. It'd be good for us to remember that. Many people think that this was written by David in his younger years as he was a boy out in the, the pastures and the shepherd, as a shepherd. Most likely it wasn't. But he was a shepherd. Most likely it was written in David's later years, but he was a shepherd. Remember, if we recall back to 1 Samuel 16, Samuel shows up to anoint the next king of, of, of Israel, right? The next king of, his peop of God's people. And he shows up and he tells him to go to Jesse's house and he goes to me, these strapping guys, these handsome guys, these well-equipped men are showing up and they're all lined up and Samuel's walking down the line. Can you imagine being one of them? They're all lined up and who's going to be the next one anointed to be king? Woo! 
<laughs> Not you. Nope. Lord, this one? It's got to be this one. <laughs> Not you either. Going down the line, waiting for the Lord to go. That's the one. I don't really know how Samuel did that. Was there a halo sticking? I don't know. But somehow or another, the Lord was saying yes and no to these different people. And it was no to everybody. And all of a sudden, he gets to the end of the line. He looks at Jesse and he goes, is this all you got? <laughs> I'd just like to be one of those men, right? All you got? Well, I, I mean, I got a son, but he's out in the field. He's out, he's out with the sheep. <laughs> Go get that one. Go get him. So he sent for him, and he comes in, and says he's all rosy-cheeked from meat out in the sun, and he's dirty, and he's been with the, with the sheep, pretty dirty animals. And the Lord goes, that's him. For I judge a man by his looks, by his appearance, not by his looks. Got that one wrong. I judge a man not by his appearance, but by his heart. Not by his appearance, but by his heart. In Psalm 78, David tells us this is what happened. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep's pen. From tending the sheep, he brought him to to be the shepherd of the people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. See, sometimes we think that even the shepherd's life is pretty easy. They're just out there wallowing around and wallowing around in the grass and the meadows with, uh, you know, with the sheep and just kind of moving and moseying. And I got my little staff, and here I go and get over here a little bit. That was a lot of work, and just take them to the next pasture, and they roam around, and I sit around and go, oh, I'll write some psalms. I'll write some songs to Jesus. No, uh, make no mistake. A better image of a shepherd. Especially in ancient time would be maybe the, the most masculine Montana cow hand, maybe. Maybe what we would think about them, that rough and rowdy guy. They worked hard. There was very few days off. If you mismanaged the sheep, it would cost him his reputation and probably bring his family to ruin. He had to care for and live with the sheep, most often away from his family. There would always be the possibility that he would lose a sheep or two. So he was always on guard, always ready, always watching, always available. So he wouldn't lose even one. David tells us as he recounts how the Lord had trained him and raised him up, prepared him on his way out to fighting Goliath, this massive giant that all of Israel's army wouldn't even begin to to go after. And he says, are you kidding me? Man, I've been, out in the, I've been out in the pastures. I've been out with the sheep, and a lion shows up to rip the guts out of my sheep, and I took care of them with my bare hands. And then there was a bear. I took care of that one too. Not me, but the Lord. If the Lord can take care of a lion through my hands, he can take care of a bear through my hands. This, this Goliath, this Philistine, what chance does he have? Woo! He learned some lessons out there in the pasture, didn't he? He learned how to depend on the Lord. He learned the power of the Lord. He learned what the Lord's willing to do through a person that's a willing vessel and has a willing heart. A shepherd's nobody you're going to want to mess around with. Basically, through this psalm, Psalm 23, David's telling us this. He said, he's essentially saying, for what I was for my father, as the shepherd of his sheep, my God has been for me. What I was for my father as a shepherd for his sheep. What I was for 
the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their king. It's what my God is for me. And so much more. It was most likely not written in the sunrise of David's life, but in the sunset. In Psalms 23, there are over 20 pronouns. The Lord is my shepherd. All the verbs are in the present tense. This is a reality, a personal reality to David. He's just not writing something that we should all know in a good song that maybe we'd all want to sing. He is writing of a present reality, and it is personal. This is my God, my shepherd, and he makes me lack for nothing. And then he unpacks what that means. It's been said that Psalm 23 is like a beautiful pearl necklace. And that my God and my shepherd are the string. And everything that comes after it in Psalm 23 are the beautiful pearls. What it is that our God does for us and how he cares for us. Now, let's get into verse 1, shall we? Let's get into verse 1. If everything in the rest of the verses hinges on verse 1, then let's get into it. It starts with this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Do me a favor. It'll be the very last slide up there, Kevin. Put that one up. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That's the only slide you're going to see today. There won't be another one. There's no points. There's no anything else. See it. Understand it. Feel it. It was written in pronouns and present tense verbs because if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, as I'll explain here in a second, then he is your shepherd and you lack nothing. Nothing. You see, all the emphasis is actually not even on the shepherd. It's on the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. We tend to want to tell these great stories, and we still will do some of that, about a shepherd and a shepherd's life and what a shepherd does. But the emphasis of Psalm 23 is on the Lord. And you'll notice that the Lord is in all caps. Anytime you see the Lord in all caps like that, it is declaring the holy name of the Lord. It is declaring the name Yahweh. Oh, the holy name of the Lord Yahweh. It comes from Exodus 3 when Moses is walking through the desert and the, and, the, uh, and the burning bush shows up and the Lord speaks to him through a burning bush and he tells him to go and, and to free his people from Egypt. And he goes and he says, I will do all these things for you and send this message to Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, well, who am I? What kind, of, what kind of authority do I have to walk up to Pharaoh, the king of all, the greatest king, the one that's king over everything? And he goes, oh, really? You tell him that I am sent you. You're going to walk up to Pharaoh and say, uh, hey, let, let my people go. By what authority? I am sent me. What? I am is Yahweh. I am equals Yahweh. It's written over 7,000 times in Scripture. Very rarely would the Jews even utter the words Yahweh, the word Yahweh, because it was the personal name of God. It was such a holy and sacred name, very rarely would they say it. They would use words like Adonai, which means my Lord, or Elohim, which is just a generic term for God, as we would say God. They would use those words, but Yahweh is so incredibly personal. And when 
David writes this. He is saying, Yahweh, the God of all, the God of all existence, the God over everything, the God Almighty, he is my shepherd. Boom, that would have blown the minds of the Hebrews. That would have blown the minds of Israel to call the living God your personal God and shepherd. What? Tradition tells us that this word was so sacred, this word described the greatness of God in in such a critical way that it would only be uttered once a year and that would be behind the, the, the curtain of the Holy of Holies. When they came and brought the sacrifice for all of Israel, the high priest would utter the name Yahweh. Tradition also tells us as the scribes were, were writing Scripture over and over again when they came those 7,000 times when they came to the word Yahweh, which they would not write it out in its complete. They would write it out only partially because they wouldn't dare write the whole name Yahweh down a piece of paper for such a holy name, and we're going to keep it holy, and it can never become common. What does that say to us? Hmm? Just real quick. What does that say to us? The holy name of God, who is the King of all kings, Lord of all lords. How quickly and how commonly have we made his name? It rolls off our lips like it's just another name. But it's the name that is above all names. It's the name that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. That's the name Yahweh. So tradition holds as they got to that and they began to write their version of Yahweh, that when they were done, they would break the pen, destroy the pen. They would go and change their clothes and take a bath and then come back and begin to write again. That's how revered the name Yahweh is. Merrill Unger said this about the word I am or Yahweh. That its root comes from to be. It means I am what I am. What I was, and I, what I was, I will remain. And what I am, I will always be. Right? I am what I am. What I was, I will remain. What I am, I will always be. He is the ever sufficient, always sufficient God. This speaks of God's ways, self-existence and self-sufficiency. For Yahweh in the word I am, he is omnipotent, which means all-powerful, omniscient, which means all-knowing, and omnipresent, which means always there, past, present, and future. See, God's name is a verb. His name is an incomplete sentence. His name begs the question, well, then who are you? What are you? If you are in darkness, then I am the light. If you are hungry, then I am your food. If you are lost, then I am your guidance and direction. If you are searching, then I am the truth. If you are dumbfounded, then I am wisdom. If you are in sin, then I am grace and mercy. If you are troubled, then I am your peace. If you are weak, then I am strong. If you are weary, then I am tireless. (laughs) All that he has promised to his people, he will always be. He will not be everything we want him to be, but he will be everything we need him to be. He is our life coach, our guide, our protector, our savior, our constant companion, our sufficient Lord. You see, our lives are always in flux. Our lives are always coming and going. Our lives are always getting more and losing. Our lives are always growing older and changing, and our physical presence changes, and our minds change, and everything changes. We're in flux, but the Lord God is not. He is never exhausted. He always is. He is sufficient. 
Think back to Exodus 3 for a minute. He is never exhausted. He never runs out of what he needs. He is never insufficient. Think about for a minute back to the burning bush. Remember what Moses said? The bush is on fire, but it is not burning. It is on fire, but it is not burning. Why? Because the Lord was in it. The Lord is never exhausted. The Lord is never undone. The Lord never diminishes in who he is, which means that the Lord is our shepherd. He is our God. He is our king. No matter your darkest moments, no matter your biggest stress, no matter the most intense time of your life, the Lord never changes. He is constant. He is always He is. So tomorrow when everything in our life changes, when everything falls apart, when what we thought was no longer, when what was going is suddenly not, and what we thought was coming is delayed for much too long, that it breaks our heart, hurts our heart, and then we feel lost and abandoned. Our God has not changed. He is sufficient, and we are secure in him because he is I am. Always there. Always there. To be is to be Yahweh. He is the good shepherd that you can trust. The question we have today is, do you trust him? As we get started in this series of working our way through Psalm 23, do you trust him? Is he your I am? Is he your I am? Is he your ever-present Lord in every circumstance? There was a missionary, his name was Frank Hardwick, and he wrote this very simple poem. God is, I'm his, he's mine, all is fine. One more time. God is, I'm his, he's mine, all is fine. For the Lord, because of who he is, Is my shepherd, I lack nothing. You see, because in him, we have everything. What's the greatest need in our world today? Sufficiency and security. Everybody's looking for it. We want more. We want more. We just want to be sufficient. We want our lives to be sufficient. We want there to be enough. So we go after it, we go after it, but it seems fleeting. And even when we get enough, it doesn't quite seem like it's enough, and it just seems fleeting. And yet the Lord, our God, the I am, is sufficient in every moment of our life. And he is secure because he is unchanging and never-ending. Ted Turner, in an interview, said this about success is fortune and fame. He said, success is an empty bag. It always leaves me wanting. Our Lord, the Good Shepherd, is sufficient and secure. A pastor was at a conference and he saw a longtime member of his congregation that had moved away. And he asked them, he said, hey, how, how are you doing? They began to have some general pleasantries, exchange them back and forth. <laughs> and he's, then he said, I just lost everything. I just lost it all. What do you mean you just lost everything? The fires that swept through Southern California, I lost it all. My home, everything in it, all that we had, we lost it. He prayed real quick, this pastor did, what do you say to a man who lost everything? And so he prayed and asked the Lord for wisdom. And then he simply said this, how are you holding up? How are you making it? (laughs) He said, pastor, 
with a giant smile on his face. I have the good shepherd. I lack nothing. When you know the personal God that David knew, who is Jesus Christ. Remember, he called himself the good shepherd. Who is Jesus Christ when you know him? No matter what your darkest moment is, no matter what is lost in this life, you know for certain you have never lost, never will lose the one who is all, Jesus Christ. We lack nothing when we have him. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for the security and the sufficiency that we have in Jesus. Thank you that you are all things. And you fill us up. And in this world we might lose all things, but in you we have everything. Thank you for being our God and bringing security into our lives. That we will always have tomorrow with you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Memorize Psalm 23. If you need prayer, we'll be up here. Lay it on your Savior. Lay it on your Savior. He's the shepherd that seeks to take your worries and your anxiety. It says this in Philippians. Don't forget it. Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's going to take away. He's going to speak into. He's going to be with you with all those things that are bugging you. And finally, this one. They have to be free from friction. I didn't know this, but sheep are kind of, you know, weird. They're, they're kind of like us. They get angry at each other all the time. Like, really, they get, they get bitter. They get angry. They get, they, they get frustrated with one another. They, they, they nitpick each other. I had no idea that was true about sheep, but they do. And when there's friction, they won't sleep. So literally, shepherds are out there moving people to different parts of the pen and, and like, disciplining sheep. Some of the stories are crazy what they do. It's crazy. Friction. Hey, you know, there's a, you know the old adage, uh, you know, if you can't go to sleep, count, count sheep? <laughs> it was proven. I can't go into it now. We're out of time. But it was proven that it's wrong. They actually did a sleep study. They had three different people look at three different, you know, do different things. And the one who counted sheep, <laughs> they went to sleep the, the last. Like they couldn't sleep. And they said, well, why, why doesn't it work? Well, they think it's so, uh, it's so uh, not normal. Have you ever been driving down the street and saw sheep running over a fence going one, Bah, two, bah, three. It's so not normal. So we try to do this unnormal thing when we're going to sleep and think it's going to help us, and it doesn't. But really, we're not falling asleep because we're counting sheep. That's not why we're not falling asleep. It's because we're counting people. See, we have a hard time resting because we're counting people. We're counting what they've done to us, how they've hurt us, how they made us mad, what they're trying to take from us. We're counting people. Son and daughter of God, you want to rest? Allow God to be your food and your sustenance. Allow him to satisfy your thirst and your soul. Stop counting people. And instead, learn to count on your shepherd. To count on him. Father, thank you. You're a great God. You're merciful, just, holy, and perfect. We love you, Lord. Thank you for all you've done and all the ways you give to us. Thank you for being our shepherd. You lead us and you guide us. In your name we